right, let's get into what we're talking about today, okay? Um, we are in the beginning of a new series called Strength in the Storm. We are actually looking at this book that is a challenge. It's a book that's, that's probably one of the oldest stories in all the Bible, 2,000 years before Jesus when they think it was written. We're going to look at the book of Job over these next three weeks. We're going to look at, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting book that has, that has a lot of, there's a lot of challenge, there's, there's, there's the struggle around suffering, there's God in the midst of all of that, it, it, there's, it's, it's, a, it's strange and inspiring at the same time, we want to look at that in light of this, strength in the midst of the storm. How does our faith do in the midst of the storms that we face in our life? How does, how does our faith do, and, and does our faith, do we struggle or do we grow in that? That's part of what we want to talk about. And the reason why I want to talk about this is that when I meet with each of you and I, and I talk through life with you, man, we, see, we hear storms all the time. When you share about your that marriage where your spouse decides, I don't want this anymore. And that's a storm. It's a storm that, that, that gets right to our core. When you get that news of, of the, the, the results of the test was cancer, and that's a storm. And, you, and, and as you unpack that and unpack the grief and the, and, the, and, and the heartache and the unknown and the questions, that's part of the storm that we walk through together. When you are in the, in the midst of, of raising your children and, and you're trying to figure it out and you're feeling like you're just wandering further away from your kids, that's the storm. When you're in a workplace situation that is brutally hard and, and a boss that's beating you down and you don't know what to do about it, that those are storms. And, and, and we all have them. They all come at us. What I love about this book, as we unpack it in this book, is that God never tells us that the storms won't come. He doesn't say, here's how to prevent storms from coming in your life. He's going, no, storms will come. He never once says that if you prayed better, the cancer wouldn't have come. He never says that. My next door neighbor told me that his pastor told him that that was the reason why his dad died. And that's why he doesn't come to church. It never says that. God never says that if you are an upstanding character and if you have upstanding character, then, then no one will attack your character. That, that, that will still happen. God doesn't say that if, if you are, are growing in the Lord, then your kids will grow in the Lord. God doesn't say that. In fact, it's just the opposite. Jesus, Jesus says, he says, in this world you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus is saying that to us because he knows it himself. In this world, you will have trouble. And he says, but, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I know in the midst of your storm, you don't feel like I have overcome, but I have overcome the world. See, see the storm is not going to win. Ultimately, I have overcome that. But Jesus is saying the storm does come. And in the midst of that, we deal with our pain, we deal with our questions, we deal with our anger, we deal with, our, with, with, with 
with a sense of loss and loneliness. We deal with all of that. And God knows that. And so part of what Jesus is saying right there is in the midst of the, of the storm, I've overcome the storm. I'm there. He's, God is going, and I'm there. And I'm holding you. You might not feel it, but I'm holding you in the midst of the storm. But then he says something else, too, that's really, really fascinating to us. He says this. He starts talking about how maybe, maybe I might even do my greatest work in you in the midst of this storm. I might do the greatest, my greatest work in you while all of this chaos is around you. It's James and Peter, two guys that know storms, that know the hard stuff. Both of those guys, listen, James says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let the steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Peter says it this way, again, somebody that fully gets it, fully understands the storm. He says, in in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. They have come so that the proven proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. See, these guys know that God can do his greatest works in the midst of the storm. When you go back to that, to that, that, the, the one that James said, he says, count it all joy. That count, that's a financial term, you guys. It's a financial term meaning to evaluate. And so James is saying, evaluate the way you look at trials. Evaluate the way you look at them. Evaluate the way you, you go about them, especially as that trial and that storm lingers. That in the midst of the pain that I am walking through with you, in the midst of the sorrow that I'm walking through with you, in the anger that I'm walking through with you, the impatience that I'm walking through with you, I want you to also evaluate that and see what I might be telling you in the midst of that. We don't like to hear it it, in the midst of the storm, count it all joy. I'm not going to count it all joy when my, my, my grandfather's dying of Alzheimer's. But he's saying, but I've been through it, and I know how hard it is. And I also know that God met me there and God taught me there. So what's that look like for us? We're going to learn from Job over these next three weeks, the good, the bad, and the ugly, where Job really actually did learn some of that stuff and some of it that he wasn't learning in the midst of it all. And so we're going to go through that book. Chris Chris Sturgeon and I are going to go through that together over these next three weeks. And you're not going to be able to cover 43 chapters in three weeks unless we really read like, like 16 a day. And so we'll do that. Each time we'll read 16 chapters together as a church. So let's start there. No, let's start, let's start by praying and then we'll get into a little bit of it. We'll summarize a lot of it. Father, we thank you for today and the chance to be able to be together. And, and we pray, Lord, that your, your Holy Spirit would speak to us. We're opening up your word. We're spending time in your presence. And we pray that you would draw us close to you that you'd open up our eyes and open up our ears to hear and to see you at work and what you have for us. And Lord, if we're in the midst of the storm, speak to us right here in the midst of the storm. And if this is preparation for the storm, speak to us in preparation for the storm. We thank you that you 
say that the storm will come, but that you're also there in the midst of it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, let's, let's, get, let's, get, into, let's get into Job. Again, a fascinating book, an interesting book. Here's, here's, how, here's what's happening. Some people think that the book of Job is a, is a book that explains suffering. Some people will say, yeah, that's what Job is. It's a book that explains suffering. It's not a book that explains suffering. What is a book that that talks about faith in the midst of suffering? That's what it's about. Here's how it begins. At the very beginning, God is setting us up with with, with this by telling us about who Job is. He says this, Job was a man who lived in us. He was an honest, he was honest inside and out. A man of his word who was totally devoted to God and hated evil with passion. He had seven sons and three daughters. He was very wealthy, 7,000 head of sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 team of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a huge staff of servants. So in, in present day, he had, he had uh, three Lexuses, okay? So there you go. So, um, he, he had a ton of stuff. He was the most influential man in all the East. It's super important that we understand why God is setting us up this way with this, with what's, how we describe Job. See, what's, what he, the, the theory at the time was, it was contract theology. It was, if you do it right, God's going to bless you. If you do it wrong, God's going to curse you. And that's the way it was. And so he's setting it up going, this guy did it right, okay? This guy did it right. Everybody hear that loud and clear. That, that contract theology, that was happening way back then, and it still happens today, and it happens in each of our lives too. Come on. How many of us have said it at one time or another? If, well, I went to church, so the Broncos will win this afternoon. How many of you have done that? Or, or I didn't go to church, so I'm going I'm to be awful on the golf course this afternoon because God's going to punish me for not. Come on, we think that way. We use that language all the time. God is punishing me because I messed up over here. Or God is going to bless me because, man, look at all the things that I did. Or, God, I did great things. Why in the world wouldn't you bless me for that? This is tearing all of that contract theology. It's tearing it all up. God is saying, man, this guy, he was doing it right. He says this, his sons used to take turns hosting parties in their homes, always inviting their three sisters to join them in their merrymaking. When the parties were over, Job would get up early in the morning, get this, you guys, and sacrifice a burnt offering for each of his children, thinking maybe one of them sinned by defying God inwardly. Job made a habit of this sacrificial atonement just in case they'd sinned. Oh my gosh, can you imagine if we adopted that principle today? I... My daughter Maggie went off to the University of Colorado and then went overseas to, to Australia and did semester abroad. I've done 20 years of work on the, on the CU and University of Washington campuses. I know what happens when you go overseas. I know that the party scene is huge. Can you imagine if Jackie and I every single morning would wake up while Maggie was in Australia and say, where's another rabbit here in Rock Creek? We live in Rock Creek. Where's the rabbit? We've got to do a burnt offering because Maggie might have sinned last night. That's what Job was doing every day. Man, we'd kill every rabbit in Rock Creek. We would have. But that's what Job was doing. He was that, uh, he was, he was, he did it all right. 
Well, then here's what happens. Strange thing happens. This cosmic conversation happens between Satan and God. Now, I know sometimes when you read in Scripture, you read something like that, and you go, I don't get it. I don't get it. We need, I've told you this before, sometimes when things happen in the spiritual realm, it's not for us to get it's not for us to fully understand. It's not for, for me to fully understand a, a conversation between God and Satan. But we can pick something up because here's what happened. Satan comes to God and asks him a really interesting question or actually challenges him in a really interesting way. He says, I don't believe your people will follow you. I don't believe your people will love you. I don't believe your people will worship you if you took away all these fringe benefits that they, you keep giving them. You keep blessing them. But if you took that blessing away, I don't think they'd follow you. If you took away, I mean, you just keep lavishing blessing on blessing on people. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. But if those things were taken away or stripped away, would they still worship God? That's what Satan was asking God. That's what Satan was challenging him with. It's a great, great question in our life. Man, again, every good and perfect gift, that retirement, that salary, that car, that house, those kids, that, the, that love that you have for somebody, those grades that you get, that, that opportunity that you have, that job that you have, all of those great and perfect gifts. What if some of that was stripped away? What if, what if something was stripped away and it pulled on your heartstrings? Would you still worship God, love God, thank God, walk with God? Would we? It's a, it's, a, it's a question God needs us to come face to face with because he knows storms come. He knows things get stripped away. And so we have to come face to face with exactly what Satan was challenging. Well, here's what happens then. Job starts to lose it. He starts to lose all those things that were the blessings that God had given him. He loses, his, he loses all of his wealth and all those animals that we described, man, they were all gone. He loses his house. A tornado comes, loses his house. And when he loses his house, he also loses all of his children. You see why this can be depressing to read this. He loses all of his children. And then on top of that, his, his body starts, to, get to, starts, to, to, starts to, to deteriorate. Man, I know that, man. I feel like, my, I, feel like I have the body of an 80-year-old and I'm 52. And, I'm, and man, it hurts. And, and that chronic pain is tough. And, 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 and all of that was happening to Job too. And what happened? I love, I love that we get a little introduction to Job's wife. Job's wife says, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. Job's wife gets a bad rap, okay? She does because in a lot of ways, I see my wife in Job's wife. Now, Job's wife was misguided, and Jackie is never misguided, but I'll tell you what, Jackie is a mama bear. And if you step in front of her cubs, and a lot of times I'm one of her cubs then she's going to stand up for me. And that's what she's doing here. While it's misguided, I see Job's wife as being extremely loyal and just going, this has hurt both of us. Why don't you just curse God and die? And Job's going, no, 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 no. I, I came naked from my mother's womb and I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. That's what he said. But the affliction continued. And so the first two, Job is broken up into three different things. The first two chapters, the next 36 chapters, and the final five chapters. Those first two chapters, that's what happens. The next 36 chapters of Job, four friends come to him. 
and they all try to give him advice. Four friends come to him and say, here's why you're suffering. They tell him it's because you don't have enough faith. They tell him it's because you've sinned too much. They tell him that it's because you haven't done enough. It's all that contract theology. And they're telling him, that, you know, God is, 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 is knocking you down now because you have. And Job is sitting there going, man, that's not the way God operates. I just don't think that's the way God is. And so now they're, now they're fighting. But Job is also, it's getting worse and worse for him. And so his doubt is getting in there and his frustration's getting in there. And he's arguing too. And he's bringing it up to God going, God, why do you do this? And what's happening? And so all, it's 36 chapters of these guys trying to figure out the whys of suffering. And, and, they, and they're beating each other up for it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in those 36 chapters. Chris gets that next week. So here's what, so, so and by the way, if, and it's the weirdest thing with the Bible you guys, it's one of the few times, those 36 chapters, where they're not speaking truth. And so if someone comes to you and quotes Bildad or whatever his name was, that was one of the people that was, that was giving advice, it's not accurate advice. It's not truth, which is weird being in the Bible because what he's saying is not actually who God is. So be careful when someone says, it says it right there in Job 27. As soon as you know 27, you're, oh, that's right in the middle of that conversation. Okay, that's why we need to know context when it comes to reading scripture. Well, what happens is God is listening in to that whole conversation that's happening over all that time. God is listening in because remember, he's with us in the midst of the storm. He's listening in to us and our processing. And he's listening in to that processing. And finally, in those last five chapters, God speaks. It's almost like God was going, the noise, the noise, the noise of these five men trying to figure this out, the noise of what they're doing. Let me now speak into this and tell you that I've actually been here all along, but you haven't heard me. All you've heard is the noise. I want to talk about that a little bit more. For many of us, we have had a season where we have hit rock bottom. Many of us have had something that's happened in our life where something has happened, where, where something is, has gone in a direction we didn't want it to go, and, it's, and, it's, and, and the storm has come in. In the last 18 months, many of you have gone through some serious storm. You've lost a loved one, or you've lost a job, or, or, or your interaction with your family has gotten worse, or you haven't been able to interact with your family. And there's moments where each of you, in the midst of that, has felt like you've hit rock bottom. I even looked, at, looked that up at where the origin of rock bottom, you know what that is? That's a mining term. It's a mining term that when they're digging for all the materials for the gold that they're looking for, when they finally hit bedrock at the bottom, they say, I can't go, we can't get any further down than this. That's rock bottom. And I know some of you have felt that at one time or another. Maybe it wasn't the last 18 months, maybe it was 10 years ago. But you've hit that rock bottom. I hit that rock bottom. In the midst of COVID, in these last 18 months, I hit rock bottom. It was around November. I, I, it's hard because I, I want to be able to pick you guys up off the mat when it came to all that COVID stuff that was going on. And then I hit it. Now, it wasn't like I lost a, a loved one like some of you have, but we're not, we never compare well, your rock bottom versus mine. It's, no, no, it's just this is what happened for me in the rock bottom. It was about, no, it was November. I don't even say it's about. I know exactly when it was. It was November of this last year. 
It was, it was a really hard time. Remember, we had gone online for about six months up to that point. And so now I go from having a conversation with you like I like to do on a Sunday to speaking, standing still. You guys, I'm a caged lion up here. I need to get from side to side. And I'm standing up here staring at a, at a, at a camera. And I'm preaching from there. And at first I'm going, okay, I'm, we're getting used to this. We're getting used to this. You know, all of us were getting used to it except Mo. Mo, was, Mo, was, Mo never got used to it. But with the rest of us, we got used to speaking through the camera. You know, we, we did that. But you know what happened? You guys also started to grow tired of it too. And I heard it. I can't do, you, I, I, I'd hear, I can't do online one more time. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, neither can I. You know, so, but, but what would happen is I would preach and I, as I'm preaching, I'm just going, oh my gosh, I'm losing them. I'm losing them through this camera. They're going to do dishes right now. They're going into the kitchen. They're going, Bill's rambling again and, and they're starting to do their dishes and, and they're going, yeah, he said something. It might've been good. It doesn't matter. I got these dishes that I got to do. Come on, let's be honest. I want your hands to raise if you, how many of you at some point in the last 18 months when you were watching online, how many of you guys got distracted in the midst of a service? Any of you that are not raising your hand are lying or you never, never watched, okay? It's one of those two. All joking aside, I felt like my effectiveness in my job, I felt like I wasn't nearly as effective and that's hard. And so you, 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 you it was a snowball of, of, of my effectiveness was, was weakened. On top of that, any decision I made, half of the people in the crowd liked it and half the people didn't. And whether it was mass or no mass or all the stuff, you know all the stuff. And so I offended half the people with where we decided to go. In the midst of that, my family, my staff, I call my family. I, they, they are family to me. And, and some of that family was stripped away. My good friend Jim, who helped me start the church, said, you know what, I think it's time for me to take on a new challenge. And man, I was going to support my friend in that new challenge that he was going to do. But it also meant he's stepping away and, and, and I lose that person that was holding that weight with me. Becky was talking to me about the possibility of leaving. That she, She's thinking maybe it's time for her to take on something else. Something else. We had to let Kayla go. And so the next thing you know, I'm looking at our staff and going, it's not the same. The daggers start flying. People chucking the daggers at you, what you could do different, what you should have done different. And people keep telling me, oh, you got to put on that armor of God. But man, they were getting through and I was feeling them and, and confidence was going way down. And so, so in November of this year, there was this, there was this moment. I woke up in the morning after I didn't wake up because I had been up all night and in tears, I'm sitting at the side of my bed and I'm just going, God, I, I don't know if I can do this. I, I, I don't know if, if I'm going to be able to lead through this. This is, it's brutally hard. And so I, and in, through my tears, Jackie gets up and she sits with me and she says, what can I do? And one of the very few times in our marriage, I told her, I don't know if there's anything you can do, Jackie. I don't know if there's anything you can do. And I got in my car and I started driving in my truck. I just started driving. I didn't know where I was going to go. I just drove. And I ended up at this cemetery the Risby Cemetery, where Jim Rabin and Janie Donatucci are both buried, two mentors of mine in my life that would be speaking into my life, that would say, Bill, are you hearing that God is here? God is with you in this. And that God I might be teaching you something in this. Those, those are the people, that's the voices that I would have heard. But I sat at that cemetery instead. I just thought, I don't, I don't have that support from them. And so here I sit. 
And in that moment, I, I, I journaled, and, and I debated whether I should read this for you guys, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to. I'm just going to let you in on what happened on that day. This is the day that the rock bottom hit. Here's what I, here's what I wrote. I kind of titled the journal entry. I don't know why I did that. Shark, shark size bites to the gut. <laughs> you know that feeling, that feeling of a painful bite to the gut, the feeling that everything is being pushed up to the base of your throat? It almost feels like something is stuck there and it's trying to get out. Not a throw-up feeling, but more of a tension. You can still breathe, but each breath is a little shorter. Every thought that goes through your flooded brain is what you could have done just a little better. Each comment about you or what you care about feels like another shark bite. Not a great white, but just a very small bite that doesn't debilitate, but does enough to disturb you for another half a day until you find something that distracts you enough, a glass of whiskey, a stupid show on television, pushing yourself to the verge of a heart attack on the treadmill, serving to just get that one extra breath each minute. I mean, this is, this is the rock bottom. You wake up the next morning, you say, this will be a good day, and all it takes is one comment, one disappointed child, one disappointed staff, one piece of news that goes wrong, one personal failure, one overwhelming issue that faces the church, one disgruntled congregant, and you feel that familiar bite again, that familiar tightness in the chest, that familiar object lodged in your throat, and again, it's a little harder to breathe, another shark bite, and they keep on coming. That's me each day right now. It's a foolish thing I said to a staff person. It's news around our attempted, attempted sale of our land. It's the inevitable hard conversations I'll have to have with a staff person about their job that could ultimately leave their family that I care about in a hard position. It's a daughter that I love dearly that has put her life on hold and has had, day, has had bad days from it. It's me not being able to love my wife well or even articulate to her what is bothering me. It's a financial situation at the church that will lead to really gut-wrenching decisions. It's anything. It's everything. The feeling is tiring, it's isolating, I feel myself in between tears and just sheer exhaustion. And I'm frustrated that I can't seem to find the bomb that is scripture to steer me in the right direction. I know truth is right there. I know I could find it in an instant. I know if I just let Jesus in on it, I know I need to seek first the kingdom, and I know I'm not doing it. So I sit here with a new shark bite, this one coming from my frustration and guilt over a faith in a God that has every bit of power to take this from me. His yoke is easy, his burden is light, I know that. But the yoke could not be heavier on my shoulders right now. And I know that too, these dang shark bites. That's rock bottom. And part of the reason why I wanted to read it is just because I think that there's parts that each one of us can relate to in there. Some of those feelings that you have and some of the frustrations and a lot of desperation. A lot of desperation. And in the midst of that, in the midst of our rock bottom, Jesus meets us. And he says, I'm going to hold you. And you might not feel it, but I'm going to hold you. And you'll be able to stand up tomorrow because I'm going to give you the power to stand up tomorrow. And so he's just holding us. But he's also teaching me. In that moment, he's teaching me. But my problem is I can't hear it because of the noise. Because the noise that I have going on around me I can't hear it. Now, I'm not talking about the noise of pain and the noise of, of frustration or the noise of anger. I'm not talking about the noise of sorrow and grief. I'm not, I'm not saying that's noise. Those are real, real moments. It's Jesus when he hears that Lazarus died and he wept. It's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he sweated blood. And those moments... That's not noise. That's our grief. But what he's trying to tell me and teach me 
That's where noise can get in the way. So here's what I call noise. When we, when we're, when we sit there and we just continue over and over to do, what, to do what Job's friends did and what Job did just to keep asking why. And it gets us nowhere. Just asking the why. See, what happened in my situation that might be different in your situation is what I do is I fixate on the people that have hurt me. I fixate on those, those, people, those people that hurt us and I'm thinking so much about that person that hurt me that I'm not thinking about the person that needs me. That's noise. We long for information in these moments. Just if I get that information, that's going to be the peace I need. Our quest for information becomes our obsession. But it's just still noise. We're ultra aware of the judgment and the criticism of the folks around us if we're in a situation like mine. In my storm, I'm ultra aware of the people around me and what they're saying. I'm, I'm listening to those words instead of the words that God might be speaking over me. I heap condemnation on myself and I second guess everything. And on top of that, what's really weird is that we tend to gather people. And we say that we're gathering because we need support, but in a lot of ways we gather people to say, will you warm your hands on the same fire that I have over somebody, over something that's happened? And if we can all gather enough people around us, then I'm going to feel better so long as other people also agree that that person has wronged me badly. And we do that, and I do that, man. In Bellingham, when I was struggling in Bellingham, I rallied as many people around me as I could in, you know, 20 years ago when I was in that job up there around a person that was hurting me. I rallied as many people as I could to say, will you warm your hands on this same fire that I've got? And in the end, it's noise. God is speaking to us. God wants to, God wants to, to, to bring life out of death. God wants, you know when you're driving on I-70 and you see that tree that's coming out of those rocks, you're going, how in the world does that tree grow out of those rocks? God wants to grow that tree out of those rocks. And the question is, are we responding, are we seeing it, are we hearing it, or is the noise winning? See, Job, Job realizes this even before God speaks to him. Job says in Job 36, he says, but those who suffer, he delivers in their suffering. He speaks to them in their affliction. He doesn't take them out of their affliction. He speaks to them in their affliction. And the question is, are we hearing it? While he holds us in our grief, he speaks to us in our affliction. Are we hearing it? I'm going back to that James passage from a different translation. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you're facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up in you the power of endurance. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it release perfection into every part of your being. You can't hear it. At first you can. At first we can hear it. At first we can, we can put up with the noise. But over time the noise is winning and you can't hear the truth. I was talking to Chris Lagarus about this with, with their two little kids that they have and he's going, God is stretching us into the people that he wants us to be but sometimes we don't want to be stretched in the middle of the chaos. 
God is speaking to us, but the noise is winning. Listen to, listen to those words again. Listen to those words from James. The tender words of a man that knows the pain, he, the brother of Jesus that watched his brother die on a cross. He says, my fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up in you the power of endurance. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there's nothing missing and nothing lacking. If your faith remains strong, even while surrounded by life's difficulties, you will continue to experience the untold blessings of God. True happiness comes as you pass the test with faith and receive the victorious crown of life promised to every lover of God. James is saying we need faith most at the precise moment when it seems impossible because God could be doing some of his greatest work there. That's Noah in the midst of a flood. That's Daniel in the midst of a lion's den. And it's Jesus in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's recognizing in the midst of that grief and the chaos and the storm, God is there and he's speaking to them. And he's doing his best work right there. N.T. Wright says, the direction of travel is not for us to find God. See, sometimes in that chaos, as we're saying, oh, so I got to go find God. He says, the direction of travel is not for us to find God. Instead, it's for God to come to us. And we need to open our eyes to it. And we need to listen for him in the midst of the storm. I lost two people in, in, um, in COVID that were very, very close to me. Janie Donatucci and Vet Goulas were, were two people that spoke, spoke a lot into my life. And as the storm hit them and their families, Vic from ALS and, 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 and Janie from cancer, they were tempted to let the, the, the noise win. There were moments that I'd sit on Vic's porch and he'd say, yeah, you know, you ask the question why. And, and the noise could easily win. But both of them recognize that they're, they're them and especially because they cared so much about their families. Their families are being held by God, given the power to stand up the next day. And in the midst of that, both of them realized, realized that God was teaching them something. Even as they're dying of ALS and cancer, he's teaching them something. And then they spoke of what he's teaching them. And I'm someone that was blessed because of it. I look back at that day in that cemetery in that parking lot and Janie would have sh shaken my head. She'd just grabbed me and shaken me. And she said, God's holding you. And he's speaking to you. And I look back on it now and through the rest of it, because we're not out of it yet and we're still trying to, to get back together as a church. I feel like God is teaching me. He's saying to me, Bill, this is not gonna be up to you. Chains are going to be broken in people's lives because of my Holy Spirit, not because of you. People will find freedom from their addictions because my Holy Spirit's at work. It's not because of you. This, this world and this community is going to see the light of Jesus 
as a beacon on the hill. And it's not going to come from it's not going to come from your great wordsmith vision. It's going to come from my Holy Spirit. And all I'm asking of you is to do what I've taught you to do and to love as I love. That's what I'm asking of you. And, and that's the lessons that he's teaching me in the middle of a storm that has rocked the church. He's speaking to us. Are our eyes and our ears open to hearing and seeing what God is saying to us in the middle of the storm? I just want to finish with this. You know, that rock bottom, those miners, when they dig down to the very bottom and they get down to that bedrock, they're not disappointed when they get there. They're actually excited that they found bedrock because you know what happens? A lot of those materials that they're, they're, they're mining for, that gold, it settles on bedrock at the bottom. And that's where they find some of the greatest material that they've been searching for. They find it right there on rock bottom. Some of the very best that God's going to do in you is going to come right there where it settles right there. Got to open our eyes and our ears to see it while he holds us in our grief. Father, I pray that as we are in the midst of this series and as, as we continue to look into Job, God, I don't want to wrap any bows around any of it. Pain and sorrow and grief and, and trials and storms are real that we all face. And we all know the pain from it and the hurt from it. Lord, we, we pray that you would help us to, to either prepare for storms or in the midst of the storm, know you're holding us and you're teaching us. Open our ears to it. God, eliminate the noise. And help us to see you, God. I want to grow through the storm. I pray that each one of us would. God, we thank you that you're a God that cares so deeply for us, that you'd walk with us in it and through it. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.